0: Amen. Galatians 4, starting in verse 3. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. You may be seated. Again, we're wandering around in the deep waters of Galatians. I thought we... We're getting into shallow water, but uh, we did gain on a couple of verses around the verse three in chapter four, so. Again, there's a lot in these words, a lot in these chapters, and in verse three and in verse nine, we see something repeated and similar, the elementary principles of the world in verse 3 and the verse 9 how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more there's a lot of commentary and a variety of commentary concerning the meanings of these verses I've been reading a lot, listening to different lectures on Galatians 4. And I can see where each of these commentators have an element of truth in these verses and how they interpret them. But first off, we have to realize that The verse in verse 3 and in uh, verse 9, they're not exactly the same thing. It says in verse 3, In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of the woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law So that we might receive adoption as sons. See, we have to look at those words, elementary principles, in the context for which we find them. And in verse nine, formerly when you did not know—or I think I'm starting in verse eight—formerly when you did not know God, you're enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. The reason I wanted to expound on this, because this this message just doesn't pertain to these verses. It pertains to every message when we present it to you. We must look at the context of what it is found in. Because words in different contexts can have different meanings. But also we have to look at it, how does it fit into all of scripture? Let the scriptures interpret scriptures. Now, like you say, I have some people, they think that they can do whatever they want, and they say, the Bible says God is love, period, gives us license to do whatever we want. But you have to interpret everything in the scriptures. And we have to know the historical context, the history of the time, and also the personal history of the people that are hearing these verses. The audience. It all has to be taken into consideration. Like personal history. What do I mean by that? Well, our family had nine children. And my aunt's family had eight. And they would come over to our house to play or we'd go over to their house to play. Depending on how many, it would be a pretty good mob of kids. And when we were at my house or our house, for some reason my mom at times would say, Why don't you guys go outside and play? You know. There might have been eight, ten of us. I don't know why she said that, but she said, hey, Go go play in the dump. And my cousins would kinda like the dump. You know, and they were thinking that's place where everybody throws their garbage and stuff. But you see, the dump for us was where our house was here, there was an alley, a gravel alley, then there was a woods, then a field that was let to go wild with a pond, and then another woods. And for whatever reason, that was called a dump. Why? I don't know. To this day, I don't know. I just grew up. And when my mom said, go play in the dump, we oh, let's go play in the woods and catch frogs in the pond and there were apple trees, berries to pick of all kinds and so the meaning the dump to my cousins was different than to us because of our history. And I was reminded of that because last week Chris, my brother and sister came up and they wanted to go out to eat and I said oh, let's go to the dump and they kind of looked like they were losing their appetite and Brian knows what the dump is. It's a Good good food in Cambria. But that same word had a completely different meaning. And that's what happens here in Galatians because Paul is not only speaking to the Judaizers, he's speaking to the Galatians and their backgrounds are different. So that all has to be taken into consideration when we study the Scriptures Like I say, he had a similar situation. The Judaizers, they were familiar with the laws of Moses and the ceremonial laws. The Galatians, their history was false beliefs, false gods, false sacrifices resulting in the elementary principles of the world would be interpreted different by them than by the Judaizers. I mentioned these phrases, the context is different. They're similar words, but they're in the, in the context of the smaller context in the paragraphs. We all have to keep that in mind. So I'm going to try and throw a little clarity on these verses, and hopefully it's not just for these, but it, it should pertain to all of Scripture. And I think also there are primary meanings to the verses and secondary. There's a primary audience and somebody else may hear it and look at it differently. It all has to be considered. So let's look at in the, the verse 3. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And here I agree as what most commentators feel is that Paul is comparing the Old Testament or the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And primarily his audience is the Judaizers, the problem causers. He's referring to children in the faith of God's people who have not yet seen the fulfillment of the Messiah, which sets them free from the law. Not that they don't can disobey it with the penalties of the law. It goes back that they were taught the elementary principles of faith. They were under the laws of God, the laws of Moses, the Mosaic law, the ceremonial law. Laws written on man's hearts also has to be considered. Because even those laws written on the hearts, it said sin abounded even from Adam. It pointed man to their need for a savior. That they're under the slavery of sin, the guilt of sin. Now, in this context, I want you to remember, Paul does not refer to these elementary principles as weak and worthless like he does in verse 9. And that is because he's referring to God's law, and Paul would never refer to God's law as weak or worthless And remember, the conflict was the Judaizers were misleading the Galatians in the, a false faith, a false hope, a works-based salvation. So I agree with the commentators who say this first mention of these elementary principles were addressed to the Judaizers, the conflict promoters. And because Paul gives the fulfillment of the promise to them, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption of sons. So he keeps repeating the law, the law in this context. Now the Galatians may or may not have caught the direct meaning of this as Paul meant it, you know, depending on their personal history. Some of them may have been proselytes to Judaism, and they might have understood the laws of God, the Mosaic law, ceremonial law. Others would probably think the elementary principles because we're speaking about a religious issue. This is my past religious experiences. They may be thinking of their false gods and how they were strayed from the true God by their false gods. Now let's look at verse 9. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those who by nature are not gods. See a completely different background here for these Judaizers. You were enslaved... By nature, that are not gods, your false gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? Again, I believe, like most of the commentators, that Paul here is addressing the Galatians, not the Judaizers. His primary audience is the Galatians. Surely the Judaizers would hear this. But notice it said, you did not know God. You were a slave to things that were not gods. It's a completely different context than you were young in the faith. You are true to the faith, the Jewish faith, but you had not seen the Messiah yet. You were... Young, There was the elementary faith you were in. Here, your elementary faith is you're serving false gods. They were enslaved. They were enslaved to the elementary principles of false gods. Remember, Paul always says, the laws of God are good and true. And he has no negative comments in verse 3 about the elementary principles. But here he calls the elementary principles weak and worthless. And that's what these gods were that these Galatians were serving. They were weak, worthless, and you know, one or two messages back, they were serving demons. We went over that. These false gods were demonic, demonic forces. And then when he, Paul says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. What he's doing is he's bringing these principles together. What he's saying, if you go back to your false gods, It's worthless. They're not gods. It's a false faith. It's for false religion. But he's also saying to them, and if you go and you follow what the Galatians want you to do, it's the same as going back to your false gods. You're misusing the law of God And you're back to serving serving demonic forces. Because in both cases, it's straying you away, it's taking you away from the true faith. So again, Paul says, I'm afraid I may have labored in vain. Because he's not seeing church growth. And again, like I mentioned a couple messages back. I think in Galatia there were true believers, there were young believers who were misled, there were false converts, and there were seekers. But if you hook yourself to the wrong engine that's pulling you away from God, you're not doing anything for the church, even if you are a true believer. God will bring you back if your faith is true. But while you're straying away, like these Galatians were following the Judaizers, they were more harm to the church than they were good. And I hope that brings some clarity that what we have to understand is the audience, the context, historical context, and the history And how it fits in the big picture of scriptures. We know that we're saved by grace of God, grace alone through the works of Jesus Christ. And we can never add to that or take away from it. That being said, I'm going to go back to verse 4 because uh, we have a little time here. I want to... Clarify a few things in verse 4. And I think we're done with this portion in chapter 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. When I was studying these, this Galatians 4, Uh, I like studying lectures. Some, you know, especially RC Sprawl the Legionnaire, they have lectures lectures on this. And in verse four, it kept coming up the act of works of Jesus Christ. They were using their jumping off verses as this verse in uh, chapter four where it says, born of a woman, born under the law. You know, uh, J. Gresham makes, and he was a professor at Princeton, and Princeton, well, 1900s, was straying away from conservative. He led a revolt there. Started one of the Presbyterian denominations, broke off. But at his death in 1937, he wrote to John Murray, another conservative biblical scholar. And he said, I am so thankful for the active obedience of Christ. Without it, we would have no hope. So, what is the active obedience of Jesus? And does it matter? Is it part of our redemption? From the law. Well, I'll tell you right off, Saints, you were saved by works, and no other Judaizers haven't converted me. You're saved by the works of another Jesus Christ. He died for our sins, and he lived for our justification. Born under the law. Why did Jesus tarry here for 33 years? Why did he come and tarry for 33 years? Was it for his teachings? Well, Paul was given his instruction after our Lord's resurrection. See, it was his act of obedience to the law that brought us justification. Saints, it is his life and his death that brought us peace with God. We are all law breakers. We will never keep the law of God. You know, we try to stay on that narrow path, but we're in the ditch on both sides constantly. Jesus walked those 30 plus years perfectly. And that is what satisfied our Father's wrath against us for being imperfect as we live our lives here, as being unrighteous. You now, in Matthew 5 17, it tells us, Do you think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets? I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whatever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven." So how do we get righteousness that surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees? We go to Romans 5 for more clarification. Because in Romans 5, you know, remember my comparison with the engines hooked up at the Y, one's going this way, that way, they're getting further and further apart. We're hooked up to one or two engines, the first atom or the second atom And the further we go down the tracks of either one, the wider we get from the other one. And all of us at one time were on the rails to hell. We were hooked to Adam's engine. Sin was in us. Romans 5, verse 12, Therefore just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. We know who that one man was, Adam. Adam. His sin was imputed unto all of mankind. He was the covenant head. That's why the psalmist states that he was conceived in sin, born in sin. We don't have to teach our children to sin, it comes natural. We don't have to teach ourselves to sin, it comes so easily. That sin was imputed onto us. Now, some people say, Well, Adam sinned, why did we get punished? It's a good question. I'm just telling you how it is. You can ask God on the other side of eternity why. It's God created the world, His rules, His wisdom, and I'm sure. He'll clear up any of your doubts on the other side of eternity. But the scriptures, that's what they teach. Adam's sin was imputed unto all mankind. All of us are unrighteous, and one sin makes us so. Our God is so holy that one sin makes us unrighteous. Even though our sins may not be like Adam's, who lived in the perfect paradise, in the presence of God. Our sins still make us unrighteous. But fortunately for believers, we don't have one covenant head, we have two. That's only for believers. Adam was a type of Jesus, a picture, a comparison to the work of Christ. that he was the imperfect one who sinned. The perfect Adam did not sin. Tells us in verse 16 yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam who was a type of the one who was to come. Again, Adam was the covenant head, and what he did affected all of mankind. Jesus was the second Adam, and what he would do would affect the elect. As we go on in Romans here, it gives that comparison. I'll start in verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, many there all died through Adam's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness Reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass, one trespass led to condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Now again here, we have to clarify all men in the context says all men. But in the Bible, we know that that all men, he's speaking of all believers. That's why we have to be so careful and we can't take one verse out of scriptures and say that is what it means, that's what it says. Universalism, all men are saved because of God. They're all justified. No. You let scripture interpret scripture. All men here means All believers. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. By one man's obedience. That's the Lord's obedience to the law. His continual obedience for 30 plus years to the law. That is what will make us, give us righteous. Make us righteous. It's as if we obeyed the law. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ our Lord. We are saved by the grace of God. And made righteousness by the works of God. It's both. It's not one or the other. It tells us, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. So the passive work of Jesus, when he allowed himself to be killed and murdered on the cross... We are reconciled to God. More now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Saved by his righteous life. You see, it's both. It's the life and the death of Jesus Christ that brought us peace with God. One of the lectures I listened to from the Ligonier ministry was David Lawson, and he put it this way. and I think this is really easy to understand, anyway, it was for me. <laughs> you know, when Adam was in the garden, his slate was clean. It was at zero. Now, had he performed the righteous acts and just kept living according to God's law he would have had that righteousness appointed to be going to the positive. However, he sinned, which resulted in him going into a negative account. He had an unrighteous account. When Jesus did his passive work on the cross, dying for Adam's sin... That brought Adam back to zero. His account was now zero. A good thing. But again, we're told, unless our righteousness surpasses the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees and be perfect as I am perfect, how do we get that? That positive righteousness comes from those 30-plus years of Jesus living a perfectly righteous life under the law, and that is imputed unto us. And we need not only to be at zero, to be forgiven of our sins, we need to be looked on as righteous. So it's both. It's the life and the death of Jesus Christ that has imputed us with righteousness and salvation. Both is needed. The perfect life and the sacrificial death. That is what brings us peace with God. You know, what a Savior setting up a perfect plan like that for a sinful people. To come and live among his people for 33 years humiliate himself, put himself under the laws that he created so that we might have life with him and the Father in eternity. Praise God. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you and praise you for all the blessings you've given us. We praise you for this message. We praise you for your perfect righteousness in Jesus' name.